When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Rachel Vanderbilt, and I'm the host of the Relationship Doctor podcast. Today's episode is going to be a special joint episode between myself and two other Quick and Dirty Tips podcast hosts, Dr. Monica Johnson, host of The Savvy Psychologist, and Dr. Nanika Kaur, host of Project Parenthood. In this episode, we'll be sharing tips for how to effectively set goals for the new year. I'll be seeing you next week with a new episode. Hello, I'm Mignon Fogarty, host of QDT's Grammar Girl podcast, a weekly show that explores the fascinating flurry that is the English language and aims to make you a better writer. This week, I'm excited to bring you a special episode dedicated to helping you set and achieve your most meaningful New Year's resolutions. If you're striving to achieve better balance in your relationships, then you are going to love hearing from this panel of QDT expert hosts. Joining me for today's panel discussion on New Year's resolutions, we have Nanika Kaur, host of the Project Parenthood podcast, Monica Johnson, host of the Savvy Psychologist podcast, and Rachel Vanderbilt, host of the Relationship Doctor podcast. So let's dive into some inspiring expert advice on how to make this a victorious season of resolution setting for you. First, to all our panelists today, going into the New Year's resolution season, how do you recommend families or couples go about setting goals together? Hi, I'm Dr. Monica Johnson, and I'm the host of the Savvy Psychologist podcast. I would start by saying, let's set we goals and not you goals. Even if it's a goal where your partner or another family member is the point person on it, you don't want it to be communicated in a negative way, like they're a problem that needs to be fixed. Think about what you would like to accomplish as a family or a couple and identify what role each person will play in making that goal occur. For instance, if your partner is having trouble with time management and it's affecting the quality time you get to share as a couple, you wouldn't want to say, you're always behind on things. And because of that, we don't get to do a date night anymore. Instead, you would say something along the lines of, Poor time management impacts the amount of time we get to bond, play, and be intimate. Let's work together to identify steps we can take to improve that over the year. While it may primarily be one partner who struggles with this, the other partner is a direct support, and both of you are required to move the needle forward as a couple. Small ways to share the weight of the goal may be things like creating a day slash time to set intentions for the week or to meal plan. This can make it easier for everyone. Hey folks, I'm Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist and host of the Project Parenthood podcast. Well, 
Working with your family or partner on shared goals is a positive and intentional way to prioritize togetherness in the midst of everyone's packed schedules. But before you sit down and start rattling off all the things you resolve to accomplish as a family or as a couple in the next year, remember to note your accomplishments thus far. Take stock of what's working well. This reminds each family member that they have the ability to set a goal, work toward it, and accomplish it. Those feelings of agency are a good starting point for setting new goals. Think about what's important to your family and what tangible and intangible improvements you'd like to see in your lives. Choose goals that are sustainable, realistic for everyone's developmental level and personality, and don't require a huge shift in your daily life. Small changes are way easier to make than huge ones. Hi, I'm Dr. Rachel Vanderbilt, and I'm the host of the Relationship Doctor podcast. Well, I would recommend being concrete, realistic, and individually focused as you're setting your group goals. So what do I mean by that? For concrete, I mean that you should specify what the things you would like to accomplish are for this week, this month, and in the next three months. Then I'd recommend both setting a plan for accomplishing these goals and a plan for holding each other accountable that everyone agrees to. I would also recommend some sort of group celebration that'll occur at specified accomplishment intervals for each individual. By realistic, I mean that you should try to set goals that will actually be attainable. Focus on those small, stepwise improvements over time, because the more feasible your goal is, the more likely you are to stay motivated and actually complete that goal. By individually focused, I mean that inevitably your partner and family are going to fall off the resolution train as the year progresses. You want to not be tied to them entirely so that you can continue to persist in your goal attainment, even when your family and friends fall off that train. You can still include them in your celebration of accomplishments, and you can be involved in celebrating them if you're the one to fall off. So even when you have a group goal, those goals should be tailored to each individual. This next question is for Monica Johnson, the Savvy Psychologist. So there's been some discussion in the media that New Year's resolutions can be unhealthy because they encourage us to set unrealistic expectations. But many people still view the start of a new year as a chance to improve their lives. Do you recommend embracing the idea of setting goals for the year? And if so, how can people tell the difference between healthy goals and toxic goals? In my experience, the resolutions that people set at the beginning of the year are largely unhelpful. They tend to be lofty goals that aren't well thought out and planned. Most people expect to turn a pumpkin into an elegant carriage, but we don't have fairy godmothers with magic wands. The idea of having a reset is great. There are times where I wish I had a button on my palm to restore myself to factory settings, or that I could simply fall asleep and wake up and all the updates were installed into my personality and habits. However, people don't work that way. I also want to firmly state that every day of your life is an opportunity to improve yourself. And the only way that you will actually improve is to start adopting that mindset. I do think goal setting is great when done properly. And I will be talking about this on a future episode of Savvy Psychologist. What I will say now is that setting a resolution near the start of the year is not inherently bad. In fact, I am engaging with many of my patients in goal setting for the new year right now. 
They show up with everything they'd like to accomplish and we go through the list. Most people set unrealistic goals that are too high or vague. So we go through and remove or reduce anything on the list that doesn't seem likely to be accomplished and get really specific about what it is we're trying to do. You want to be careful not to unintentionally set yourself up for failure. This will be demoralizing and may encourage you to question your capacity to change. When you have reasonable goals left, you can break them down into functional steps and troubleshoot any barriers. You can also follow up at an agreed upon interval with your therapist or a support person in your life who can help hold you accountable. This will ensure you are making progress and allow you to adjust if necessary. As far as healthy versus toxic, some of this will vary as people are good at turning a healthy thing into an unhealthy thing. For instance, exercise is healthy for you. However, if you're only exercising to meet unrealistic beauty standards, then it's toxic. When setting a goal, the why is equally as important as the what. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Thanks, Monica. Now, this next question is for Nanika Kaur of Project Parenthood. Are New Year's resolutions something you'd suggest parents work on with their kids? And if so, how do you recommend people get started? New Year's resolutions are a great opportunity for families to recommit to their values or make changes for the better. It's a way to bring the family together around a common activity and gives you all something to work toward and look forward to, and sets a great example for your children about teamwork and family traditions. It's also a great way for kids to learn responsibility and making commitments and sticking to them. You can celebrate your wins together and support one another when you fall short. Either way, you're there for each other. When setting goals as a family, it's important to consider not only the outcome your family wants, but also the motivation underlying that outcome. Talk about your deeper intentions so that the whole family really understands the why behind the goal. Also think about how you want your experience of life to change as a result of reaching those goals. How do you all want to feel once you've accomplished it? Resist the urge to make a list of so many goals that you don't know where to start. Which of those goals would make the biggest positive impact on your lives as a family. Start with focusing on that one goal and only move to the next one once you've achieved it. Make sure your goals are SMART. S-M-A-R-T. Specific, measurable, action-based, realistic, and timely. Know exactly what the goal is, how you'll measure the family's progress, and what actions everyone will need to take to make progress. Assess whether or not the goal is realistic based on circumstances and each family's capabilities, and set a deadline for attaining your goal. In the end, whatever the goal is, you've spent time together as a family working toward the same thing. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thanks, Nanika. 
Okay, this next question is for Rachel Vanderbilt of the Relationship Doctor podcast. What advice do you have for couples whose goals seem to be sending them in different directions? When we have fundamentally different goals for our lives, this can be really difficult to traverse. Some examples of competing perceptions of life goals include things like wanting or not wanting children, wanting or not wanting to get married, or wanting to live and work in a particular place. My recommendation for people who are entering a dating relationship is to have a conversation at some point in the first few months about your non-negotiables. The examples above can be considered non-negotiable for some people. Before you become too attached to one another and start making longer-term plans, you want to make sure that you're on the same page about the fundamentals of your relationship. In the event that you've not had these conversations and are now facing a partner who wants something that is a non-negotiable for you, you both have some decisions to make. We should not and truly cannot expect a person to negotiate on something that they are fundamentally opposed to. For example, having children is not something we should force onto someone who doesn't want that. If you're facing this sort of issue and are deep into the relationship, you may consider therapy. Sometimes a third party can help talk through these issues with you in a way that facilitates effective communication. Again, no one should be obligated to negotiate on a core belief, but sometimes those beliefs may be rooted in something deeper like fear or a trauma. In those cases, you may be able to identify and work through those issues individually and as a couple to come to a consensus that works for your family. However, if neither you nor your partner are willing to budge on these non-negotiables, you need to consider whether this relationship will be truly fulfilling for both of you. Thanks, Rachel. And we will end with a group question. What are some common goals you wish people wouldn't make? I wish that most people would focus on really understanding what their values are and identifying what values or belief systems they have that don't serve them. In that vein, I wish people wouldn't make goals related to unexplored self-esteem issues, insecurities, and fears. These never work out the way that you think they will. I will have people tell me that if they look like Beyonce, they will be happy. No, you won't. I'm very hopeful that Beyonce is as happy and thriving as she seems, but I'm sure she still has bad days and her own insecurities that crop up from time to time. If your mindset isn't right, you will always find a way to bring yourself down. If you fundamentally dislike yourself and you lose 100 pounds, you will temporarily see a boost in your mood and then you'll go right back to finding things to hate about yourself all over again. Or you'll be in a cycle where you panic every time the scale moves up a few pounds and that's unhealthy. If you tell yourself that, money will solve all your problems you will end up creating problems in pursuit of the almighty dollar. You might ignore relationships, not engage in self-care and overwork, or lose contact with what matters to you outside of financial security. I talk to people every day who make more than enough money and they are never satisfied. Instead of trying to look like a celebrity, how about making goals that focus on your learning self-love? creating environments that accept you as a person 
and adopting healthy patterns like diet and exercise that support you living a long time and being able to participate in the activities that bring you joy. Instead of trying to make the most money, look at the lifestyle that will allow you to have a high quality of life, not only from a financial standpoint, but relationships, relaxation, and working towards self-actualization. Well, it's not the best idea to make goals that are difficult to achieve, open-ended, require a total reworking of your daily rhythms, or those that you talk about making but don't write down. You want to set yourself up for success. So set realistic goals and be prepared to shift or adjust those goals if unexpected life obstacles, like pandemics, threaten to derail progress you've already made. To give you more motivation to keep going, break down your larger goal into smaller goals to be achieved week to week or month to month and give yourself deadlines. Each time you meet these smaller deadlines, it'll motivate you to meet the next one. Make sure you write down what your goals are and record your progress. This will keep you on task and gives you a visual reminder of what you're aiming for. I really wish that people wouldn't make goals that will only work out if someone else has to be involved. Setting goals together with someone else is okay because theoretically you each have these individual benchmarks over time that can be acknowledged and celebrated. But if your goal relies on another person in its entirety, it's doomed to fail. For example, you should not have a New Year's resolution that's going on 30 dates in the next four months because it may make you engage in less than desirable ways to get someone else to cooperate with you. Similarly, you should not make a New Year's resolution about the number of times you want to have sex with your partner in a week because both you and your partner may feel obligated to engage in intimacy in that particular way, even when you both don't want to. So I would recommend reframing these goals in more productive and self-focused ways. Instead of dictating a number of dates you want to procure, you may want to focus on putting yourself out there more. Set goals for how many people you'll message on your dating app or trying out new ways to meet people. If you and your partner are craving intimacy, focus on how you can individually be more kind and caring towards your partner. Instead of dictating an increase in how many times a week you're having sex, focus on how you show intimacy towards your partner. Ask about how you can better support them regularly or find ways to carve out time to be together and whatever you do during that time is flexible instead of predetermined. Thanks, everyone. Wow, I feel ready to face the new year with some new, realistic and healthy goals. And again, that was advice from Nanika Kaur of the Project Parenthood podcast, Monica Johnson of the Savvy Psychologist podcast, and Rachel Vanderbilt of the Relationship Doctor podcast. You can find all their podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, you can find my show, Grammar Girl, hanging out in all the same places. This has been a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Feyerabend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our operations and editorial manager is Michelle Margulis. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. And our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.